within a couple of days of the attack, Jacinda Ardern said something along the lines of, I will tell, tell you, you one, one thing, thing right now, our gun laws will change. But I still don't think anyone expected it to happen quite as quickly as it did. I think many New Zealanders would be surprised to know that we don't currently know how many firearms licence holders have and where they are around the country. We also don't know when they move hands. Kia ora, I'm Sarah Robson. This weekend marks another milestone in New Zealand's efforts to strengthen its gun laws, more than four years after the Christchurch terror attacks. On Saturday, the firearms registry goes live and every firearms licence holder will have to provide information about their weapons and ammunition. Today, the detail looks back on the gun law reforms and ahead to how the registry will work. Journalist Charlotte Graham-McClay is writing a book about the mosque shootings. She's covered the gun law changes for overseas publications like the New York Times and The Guardian. She spoke to our co-host, Sharon Brett-Kelly. I think it was only... Six days after the attack, I think it was a day after the burials for the victims began, the Prime Minister came out and point blank stated what was happening. And I think that was, other than the speed, that was one of the really remarkable things. Today I'm announcing that New Zealand will ban all military-style semi-automatic weapons. We will also ban all assault rifles. We will ban all high-capacity magazines. We will ban all parts with the ability to convert semi-automatic or any other type of firearm into a military-style semi-automatic weapon. She wasn't saying, we we might do this, we want to see how people feel about doing this, or even we're proposing to do this. I remember the headline of the press release was, New Zealand bans military-style semi-automatics and assault rifles. In short, Every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will be banned in this country. Like, it was already a done deal. And I think that was part of what was really key for actually getting it over the line. They almost had one shot at being able to do one thing very quickly while the country felt the way it did. And Part of the reason that they had to do it that quickly was to prevent stockpiling of such weapons, of course. If this process had dragged out for months, that would have been quite a different prospect. They also had a lot of backing. It was, um, they'd spoken to National, they'd spoken to other parties, and other than the ACT Party, everyone was in favour of it, so that helped too. Um, But it was the speed and the decisiveness that I think were unusual, not only abroad, but also here at home. My expectation is that the law will be in place by the end of the next two-week sitting session, which is by the 11th of April. We're not used to laws being passed that way. It was framed as all of the weapons that were used in this attack would be banned, but it was a bit broader than that too. For years, New Zealand had had a particular kind of licence for semi-automatic weapons or for some types of semi-automatic weapons, which was slightly harder to get, although you could have pretty powerful guns without one. And the ban in this case essentially rendered that license, that that type of license, meaningless. There was no longer any reason to have that kind of license on offer anymore because you simply could not own any of the guns that would have been covered by it before. And was it 
also at that stage that these other steps like establishing a firearms registry and doing that amnesty, was that all part of these changes that came out so quickly? The amnesty and buyback was immediately flagged because they had to inform gun owners of what would happen to their weapons, right? So they had to tell them, we'll take them off your hands and we'll give you some money for them. So that was announced in the very first step. But they did flag at the time that there would be a further suite of reforms. Um, The ideas about what those reforms were likely to be did come out pretty early. I think within that first year, we knew what all of the different things were that the government was proposing to do. But the actual implementation of them and the actual passage of the laws that would allow them has taken a little bit longer. I think one of the things, Charlotte, one of the revelations for a lot of people, you know, in, in the days and at weeks and months immediately after the massacre was just how many guns were out there, how many firearms were actually out there and how easy it seemed to be to get hold of them. Yeah, I think rural New Zealand would have known that we were a fairly outdoorsy country and did a lot of things that at times required firearms. But for I think for a lot of urban New Zealanders, we'd kind of fancied ourselves as a place where there weren't many guns. And I think that's just because they held a bit of a different purpose in New Zealand life. You know, people in New Zealand owned guns for things, for doing a particular thing, like pest control or hunting, even if they shot guns as a hobby, that was a particular purpose for owning a gun. It's not a, it's not a country like the United States where owning a gun is in some ways a cultural and identity marker and they're kind of visible in the culture for that reason. So I think it was quite shocking to some New Zealanders to know that we did actually have quite a lot of guns. It is a lot fewer guns per capita than in the United States, but it was actually quite a few more guns per capita than in the UK and Australia. And I think that was shocking for people. I mean, we certainly didn't have the kind of lax process of acquiring firearms that, for example, some American states have where you can decide you want a gun and get one the same day. In New Zealand, we absolutely had a process that you had to go through to get a gun licence. There are strict rules in order to get a a gun in New Zealand. You have to be over 16. You have a a background check. You do have a reference. You need references. But other than a, a small amount of information provided and proving that you didn't have any criminal convictions, you had to take a gun safety course, once you'd got a licence, you could, with some exceptions, pretty much acquire as many guns as you liked. And there didn't have to be a paper trail for that. So the people who sold guns didn't have to keep records of who they were selling them to. Because there was no register, uh, the police or anyone else didn't need to know how many guns you had. So I think for some New Zealanders as well, that was a little surprising to know that while we did have um, a gun safety course and a brief interview process, a home visit, reference checks, it wasn't a hugely stringent qualification system to be able to get a license, at which point you actually shouldered quite a lot of responsibility for firearm safety. And it's that lack of a weapons paper trail that's about to change. Angela Brazier is the executive director of the Firearm Safety Authority, which is a regulator that's part of the police. She tells me the register is an important moment for them. 
the Royal Commission of Inquiry following the tragic 2019 terror attacks in Christchurch said that the system around firearms should be strengthened and the firearms registry is part of that call to action. Let's kind of maybe run through the rules at the moment. You know, if to have a firearm, you need to have a licence, but at the moment, the individual firearms you have in your possession, they don't actually have to be registered. No, that's right. I think many New Zealanders would be surprised to know that we don't currently know how many firearms licence holders have and where they are around the country. We also don't know when they move hands. And this is obviously filling that gap. Yes, it certainly is. Um, Once the registry goes live, for the first time we'll have visibility of the lawfully held firearms in our country, including how many there are and where they are in our communities. And we'll know when those guns move between people. We'll also um, know when dealers are selling firearms. So immediately we will be notified that a sale has happened from a dealer and we'll be able to follow up with the purchaser who then has 30 days in which to register their firearm and all of the other firearms that they have. Do firearms always have to be sold through dealers or are there private sales and how would it work with that? Yes, there are private sales and um, people will be able to phone the registry when they are selling to another licensed holder. Uh, And they will also be able to check with the registry to ensure that the person that they are buying from has that firearm registered in the registry and and, uh, then they will know that it hasn't been used in a crime. So it will provide some assurance to the both the buyer and the seller. So walk me through the process. What happens once the registry goes live on Saturday? What do um, gun owners need to do? So they'll have five years in which to upload the firearms within their possession unless there is a, a, an activating circumstance. And, and those are things like they buy or sell a firearm or they change their address or that they need to renew their firearms licence. At those points, they'll need to upload their firearms into the registry. So the registry will, for the first time, give us a picture of how many firearms there are legally held in New Zealand. I guess the problem is those firearms that are illegally in people's possession. You know, the gun registry goes, I guess, so far in giving us an overview of what's going on out there, but it still doesn't capture that grey area, does it? No, there there are obviously firearms in the hands of criminals and gangs, but the registry will make it harder for lawfully owned firearms to be diverted into the black market and into the hands of criminals and gangs. We all want less gun crime in our communities and the registry will help us with that. So is that because uh, registered firearms will be tracked so if they are stolen there's immediately an alert or or something like that? That's right. So if a, if a firearm is stolen, then the licence holder needs to notify us of that immediately. And if that firearm turns up in a crime scene later on, we'll be able to track it back based on the, the serial number and the details of the firearm.
It seems surprising that we haven't had that that sort of visibility of of guns up until I guess you know the registry goes live and is and is fully functioning. Yes, that's right. I think uh, all law-abiding citizens understand the importance of being able to track firearms because we know that there are instances where firearms uh, from licence holders are being diverted or, or stolen and end up in the hands of, of criminals and gangs. And we want to stop that from happening. The Christchurch terrorist did everything legally when it came to his gun collection. Under the regime at the time, he was able to amass a stash of firearms, including semi-automatic weapons. At every step, he had done things legally. He had acquired a licence legally, and there were steps in that process that perhaps should have flagged concerns for the police, and in a couple of cases, processes weren't followed adequately by the police. Um, But it wasn't him attempting to deceive them in any way. He had bought his guns legally and he'd bought quite powerful guns legally because New Zealand had kind of eroded its definition of what a military-style semi-automatic was because of a high court case in the years before the terrorist attack. These semi-automatic weapons required a license that was a bit more difficult to get and some of those guns actually were required to be registered. But because of these eroded legal definitions of what counted as a semi-automatic weapon, you could actually have some really powerful semi-automatic style um, or semi-automatic guns under just a regular New Zealand gun licence, partly because the technology of such guns had changed dramatically through the years, but also because of some of the parts you could buy. I'm advised that there were five guns used by the primary perpetrator. There were two semi-automatic weapons and two shotguns. The offender was in possession of a gun licence. I'm advised that this was acquired in November of 2017. A lever-action firearm was also found. So all of the modifications he did to his weapons were legal. And in fact, some of those modifications, the Royal Commission later said, were pretty common among New Zealand gun owners at the time. What's the history of our gun laws, Charlotte, because I think like a lot of places, there's been quite a lot of resistance over many years to having tighter gun laws. I believe every reform that has been suggested or passed in the past four years is something that has been suggested or urged or attempted before in the past few decades. So we actually had a gun register before the 1980s in New Zealand, and that was done away with in favour of a system where we instead licensed the person owning the weapons, where we relied on the idea that if we assessed this person as having a fit and proper character to own firearms, that that was the best way to ensure firearm safety rather than registering individual weapons. And so that was kind of the system that New Zealand operated under from the 80s through to um, fairly recently. But during that time, there were a series of incidents that led in the immediate aftermath to suggestions that gun control in this country should be tighter, most notably the awful massacre um, in Aramwana in 1990. Shots fired, we have returned fire, over. Resident David Gray embarking on a murderous rampage. Four of his victims were children. The first officer at the scene, Sergeant Stuart Guthrie, also killed. After a 22-hour siege, officers shot the gunman dead. 
but also the Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania in 1996, after which Australia enacted sweeping gun reforms. Prime Minister John Howard responded immediately, bringing forward a meeting of state and federal police ministers to Friday week to implement uniform national gun laws. There is no legitimate interest served, in my view, by the free availability in this country uh, of weapons of this kind. There were also a couple of police shootings in New Zealand fairly soon after that Tasmanian massacre that prompted an inquiry in New Zealand that produced a really substantive report in 1997 that made all kinds of recommendations, including urging the government of the day to adopt a gun register and most of the other reforms that have now been suggested in the past few years. And there were multiple attempts under successive governments to put this on the table. Uh, there was an attempt to pass a register, I think, in 1999. There were more gun law reform attempts in 2005, in 2016, shortly after uh, Jacinda Ardern's government came to power in 2017. There was talk about it again. And each time, with revisionist history, it can be quite difficult to get a clear answer about why nobody felt that it was that important. But if you go back, you see a lot of quotes from politicians talking about priority. It wasn't considered a priority at the time. And I think what they meant was that the amount of opposition it was going to provoke did not feel worth it for the actual level of threat or risk that for whatever reason they felt there was in New Zealand um, of one of these crimes actually happening. And so politicians did that cost-benefit analysis for years and came down on the side of it not being worth it. But most of these things that we are now either enacting or debating enacting are things that have been multiple times suggested or have even actually come to Parliament as bills and then not passed. Tell us about the, the late night that you were at Parliament covering. Was it the first, the night that the first gun reforms were approved? Yes. The night that the bill passed approving the banning of those military-style semi-automatic weapons, it was passed late at night and I went down to Parliament because I was writing a story for the New York Times about it and I thought maybe there would be some colour in the public gallery or there would be some emotion or there would be a lot of people there thinking about nights like um, the evening that marriage equality law passed in New Zealand and we saw those amazing scenes in Parliament. But when I got there, almost everyone had gone home because everyone already knew the outcome, that it would be 119 votes in support and one against. So I think a lot of the press gallery had almost been able to pre-write their stories the debating chamber was fairly empty. Those who weren't there to give speeches had already gone home. There was a group of about six people in the public gallery. I think they might have all been police officers. And there were a few of us on the press bench. And in some ways, it made me laugh because it was the most New Zealand display. Hmm. And I think one of the moments that this country is at its best is when we're acting like something isn't a big deal either because we're scornful of it or because we've accepted that it's just the right thing to do and so we're all just going to get on and do it. 
And that was a really difficult thing to convey to an overseas audience when I was asked by an editor, you know, were there protesters outside? Were there big scenes? Was there crying? And it was like, no, there were about 20 people there and they were all there to do a job and then the vote got passed and we all went home, you know. Aliyah Dan Sison is the national coordinator of the Islamic Women's Council and since the mosque shootings has been working with police on the changes that will introduce the new register. It's significant to New Zealand in the point that it's able to make us a bit more safe, not even a bit more safer, a lot more safer, and also for us to know exactly what is out there and to ensure that we have safe firearms users. This registry requires people to show regularly, on a regular basis, that they are still a good, qualified firearms user and that they know how to safely process and and utilize the arms. So they will make people safer just in the use alone, but also in the steps in evaluating. And it would be like somebody with a registry or license, a car license, if you think about it. So at times, circumstances change. And some people, maybe a health condition or as they age, they may not be as safe of a driver to be on the road. And we have stages where we we evaluate and we basically equivalent to re-registering. And that's to make the nation safer. And this firearms registry will do that as well. That's it for today. I'm Sarah Robson. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Jeremy Ansell engineered this podcast. It was produced by Bonnie Harrison, Alexia Russell and me. Thanks to everyone Sharon and I spoke to, Charlotte Graham-McClay, Aaliyah Dan-Sison and Angela Brazier. Ka kite anō.